0: Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 4 Although born in France, I was sent at an early age to Santo Domingo, to the care of an uncle, a very rich colonist whose daughter I was to marry. My uncle's plantations were in the plains of Acule near Fort Gallifay. The position of the estate, which no doubt you wonder at my describing so minutely, was one of the causes of all our disasters. —— and the eventual total ruin of our whole family. Eight hundred Negro slaves cultivated the enormous domains of my uncle. I assure you that the sad condition of these slaves was aggravated by the hardness of their master. My uncle was one of the happily small number of planters from whom despotic power had taken away the gentler feelings of humanity. He was accustomed to see his most trifling command unhesitatingly obeyed, and the slightest delay on the part of his slaves in carrying it out was punished with the harshest severity, whilst the intercession of the children did not allay his anger. We were too often obliged to rest satisfied by secretly assuaging the injuries which we were powerless to prevent. "'How, fine phrases these,' said Henri in a whisper." leaning towards his neighbor. Come, I hope that the captain will not pass over the misfortunes of the half-blacks without some criticisms on the duties of humanity, etc. He should at least be equal to the Massiac club. I thank you, Henri, for saving me from making that mistake, said Dauverny coldly, for he had overheard him. Then he continued. Amongst the multitude of his slaves— one only had found favor in my uncle's sight. This was a half caste Spanish dwarf, a grief de couleur, who had been given him by Lord Effingham, the governor of Jamaica. My uncle, who had for many years resided in Brazil and had adopted the luxurious habits of the Portuguese, loved to surround himself with an establishment that was in keeping with his wealth. A number of slaves dressed in the uniform of European servants. Gave the house a princely appearance. In order that nothing should be wanting, he had made the slave, presented to him by Lord Effingham, his fool, in imitation of the feudal lords who had jesters attached to their households. I must say that the choice was singularly happy. Habibra, for that was the half-caste name, was one of those strangely formed, or rather deformed beings, who would be looked upon as monsters if their very hideousness did not cause a laugh. This ill-featured dwarf was short and fat, but moved with wondrous activity upon a pair of slender limbs, which, when he sat down, bent under him like the legs of a spider. His enormous head, covered with a mass of red curly wool, was stuck between his shoulders— Whilst his ears were so large that Habibra's comrades were in the habit of saying that he used them to wipe his eyes when he wept. On his face there was always a grin, which was continually changing its character, and which caused his ugliness to be of an ever varying description. My uncle was fond of him because of his extreme hideousness and his inextinguishable gaiety. Habibra was his favorite. Whilst the other slaves were overwhelmed with work, Habibra's sole duty was to carry behind his master a large fan, made of the feathers of the bird of paradise, to keep away the sandflies and the mosquitoes. My uncle made him eat at his feet on a reed mat, and fed him with tidbits from his own plate. Habibra appeared to appreciate all these acts of kindness. He was accustomed to these privileges— and at the slightest sign from my uncle, he would run to him with the agility of a monkey and the docility of a dog. I did not like this slave. There was something crawling in his servility, and though outdoor slavery does not dishonor, domestic service too often debases. I felt a sentiment of pity for those slaves who toiled in the scorching sun, with scarcely a vestige of clothing to hide their chains. But this deformed clown, this lazy slave, filled me with contempt, with his garments ornamented with gold lace and adorned with bells. Besides, the dwarf never made use of his influence with his master to ameliorate the condition of his fellow sufferers. He never asked a pardon from his master, who inflicted these chastisements so often. And I heard him once, when he thought that he and his master were alone, urge him to increase his severity towards his ill-fated comrades. The other slaves, however, who ought to have looked upon him with anger and jealousy, did not seem to hate him. He inspired in them a sort of respect which resembled enmity, and when, dressed in all the splendor of laced garments and a tall pointed cap ornamented with bells and quaint symbols traced upon it in red ink, he walked past their huts I have heard them murmur in accents of awe, He is an obi. These details, to which I now draw your attention, occupied my mind but little then. I had given myself up entirely to the emotion of a pure love in which nothing else could mingle. A love which was returned me with passion by the girl to whom I was betrothed, and I gave little heed to anyone except Marie. Accustomed from youth to look upon her as my future wife, she who was already like a sister, there was formed between us a tenderness of which no one understood, as I say that our love was a mixture of fraternal devotion, passionate exaltation, and conjugal confidence. Few men have spent their earlier years more happily than I have done. Few men have felt their souls expand into life in the midst of a delicious climate, with perfect happiness in the present, and the brightest hopes for the future. Surrounded from birth with all the contentments of riches, of all the privileges of rank, in a country where color is sufficient to hive it, passing my days near the being who had all my love, seeing this love favored by my parents, and all that in the age where the blood boiled, in a country where the summer is eternal, where nature is lovely." What more could give me a blind faith in my happy fate? Could I have more to give me the right to say that few men could have spent their earlier years more happily? The captain paused for a moment, as if these thoughts of bygone happiness had stifled his voice, and then added sadly, It is true, I have now the right to add that no one could have passed his later ones in more profound misery and affliction. And as if he had taken new force from his unhappiness, he continued in an assured voice.